This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Brian Clark and this week we bring you the show from inside the U.S. Open bubble. And what a U.S. Open this will be going on behind closed doors with COVID-19 precautions in place, but definitely with a sense of relief that we are here playing just the second major of this interrupted tennis season. So much spotlight on the world number one, Novak Djokovic. He's fresh off his record-tying 35th Masters title at the Western and Southern Open, which was played here instead of in Cincinnati. He's unbeaten in 2020. Some of the young Americans in 2020, Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz, have experienced new career highs. Can they carry that form onto this home turf? And what will this transition be like for these players to ramp up to best of five set matches for the first time since January? So many questions, but one certainty, this will be the first U.S. Open since 1999. That does not include either Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, two men who've won this tournament nine times. We'll take a look at some of the highlights of the draw coming up. But first, in all the build-up to the U.S. Open, Seb Lozier has been speaking to a man who faced Novak Djokovic last week in the Cincinnati Masters, Tennis Sandgren. And he started by asking him whether life in the bubble was strange. It is strange, but it's actually not too bad. Um, they've done a pretty good job. I don't, they've got some game rooms and they've got some recovery rooms and they've got a little courtyard outside, uh, food truck in the evenings. There's a Lavazza coffee station that I'm pretty happy with, so... It's not too bad. It's not too bad. They have the, the New York Open here in February. And so it's a little bit uh, more bleak on Long Island in February. So in, in August, there's, there's some greenery outside. And yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good so far. I was going to ask, actually, what you can do besides being in the player hotel. I mean, can you get out and about? Uh, no, not unless you want to get get uh, voted off the island, so to speak. They kick you out of the bubble. Uh, not a lot. That's when you've that's when you've had your fill. You just walked into the parking lot, and they uh, I think they arrest you on site. No, <laughs> that's that that's the bubble. You just walk out, and they take you out of the tournament. Um, but I've been playing. Uh, I've been aggressively playing pop shot. They've got a little pop shot thing in the uh, in the game room, and so. I keep battling somebody, somebody named the magician keeps putting up the high score. And so I keep battling with this guy. So every day in the morning he plays and he gets the high, new high score. Then I go play, I get the high score. And we did the same song and dance this morning. I went, I went over there after my gym session and I was at 126. I had it yesterday and then he moved it to 129 this morning. So then I just moved it to 133. So we're just battling back and forth. You know, it's a two, it's a two horse race right now. Um, one day I'll find this magician and we'll, shake hands or something, I don't know, bump fists, I don't know, bump elbows. <laughs> You'll find out it's your your practice partner or your your, your coach or something. <laughs> it's Mike Russell the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> you were also in the world team tennis bubble, weren't you? Um, so you've kind of experienced something similar, but d- did you learn anything from that to take into this? I mean, it was different because that was still a functioning hotel. There were still, there were guests. So while like we couldn't go to the casino at the Greenbrier, for example, because... Well, that, that was tough, honestly, but this is different because it's just players, just team, you know, team members and not allowed to leave, et cetera. So um, it's different, but I guess a little bit of experience with just being in the same hotel for a long time. You know, it's like, 
it's like my house is under construction and I'm stuck in a hotel somewhere. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really not that bad. Honestly, man, it's like, it's, it's nice to be able to play and to be out and to, you know, be trying to compete and do your job. Um, I'm grateful for that. So, you know, being stuck in a bubble isn't, isn't nearly as bad as not having a job. So not too bad. And there are no crowds either, which is strange. It's strange to watch. What's it like to play? You know, I'm kind of used to it, honestly, playing futures for a long time, probably longer than I should have. Uh, I'm used to not playing in front of a crowd, so it doesn't really bother me that much. If anything, there's less distraction. But obviously, it's nice to have that atmosphere and to have that emotional sort of roller coaster. But, you know, they have the, uh, if you've heard on TV, the, the, out, the people calling out, they have the automatic, automated voices. So those kind of crack me up a little bit because it, it kind of feels normal, but it's not. So it's weird. And uh, I think when I was playing Novak, I hit a couple shots in the net. And I would hit the net, the ball would bounce on the ground, and then I'd hear out. And the thing would call out. And I'm, at one point, I'm just like, can you please stop trolling me? Like, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to focus, and it's not going well. Can you please have this person <laughs> to stop trolling me, please? So I'm having conversations with the automated voices now. So that's, that's good. But at least, I guess at least you know it, it can't be wrong. Is that at least reassuring to know that it's a machine? Absolutely false. Absolutely false. I saw one yesterday. Marcos Giron showed me one in his match. He had a serve that was like a foot in that they called out. So like machines can make error. Imagine that. Everything, everything uh, is in the state of entropy. So it's, uh, it's not perfect. Sorry. No, it's, I guess everything's a work in progress. It's really good. It's pretty awesome, but it's not perfect. So you actually feel more at ease in a massive crowd because you certainly play like you do in front of, you know, in front of the big crowds. Yeah, I do. Actually, I do. It's, it's, um, it's for some reason, it's just easier for me to relax and be more calm and just kind of flow. And maybe because it's a, you're a little bit of a heightened awareness because of the amount of people watching you. But at the same time, I'm able to relax or at least relax maybe better than my opponent. But um, yeah, definitely not from experience, just something that kind of clicked early from playing on big, big stages. And one of those, I just want to ask you about the Aussie Open, um, because you, you know, you, you had a breakthrough there. On paper, at least, you look at your results down the years and the rankings, it looks like Aussie Open 2018 was, was a big tournament for you. Does it feel like that looking back? Does it feel like a breakthrough? That's kind of an understatement, isn't it? I mean, if you look, if you're really looking at that paper, you're, 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 you're okay, big breakthrough, like, big breakthrough. Of, it's a kind of a breakthrough tournament for you. It's like, yeah, I've never made more than a couple thousand dollars. And that one was like, uh, it was, yeah, I, <laughs> yes, I understand. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a, it was a big breakthrough. I mean, it allowed me to get in more tournaments and, and I think it got me to, I don't know, somewhere 50 or 60 in a world, something around there. And, um, I didn't even know if I could get to, that high when I got top 100 for the first time I was like that was always my goal so I was like oh that's kind of cool and I wonder if I can get any higher I didn't really know and so it was kind of um, that, that kind of breakthrough that sort of validates in my head that maybe I could keep pushing up the rankings and just keep trying to get better so yeah that was uh, something to build on for sure just just another another uh, you know sort of milestone that 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 I can keep pushing forward from and then another milestone, almost a year on from that. Same kind of place. You obviously like playing on the on the bottom side of the world, Auckland. Your first tour title, right? I do. Well, I did it. I did. I had a good Australian Open, like you said, and then I had all these points to defend. So I'm like, well, I better train super hard because after January, my career is basically over if I don't win any matches. So I should try to win some matches, and then, the, luckily enough, that worked out. And then 
Yeah, I mean, the Auckland was awesome. I played super well the whole time. I had a, a good buddy of mine was was coaching me, and so he was there with me. And um, it was just a great week, really. It was just a great week. And I uh, played some matches that I don't think I'll forget because the quality was a lot better than I thought it, it could be. So um, that was really special. And then, yeah, then obviously the Australian Open this year. Uh, again, it's the same deal, man. I'm just trying to defend these points. I had 250 points. I'm like, again, I mean, I'm on the hot seat because I, I lost those, and I think I went outside of 100 before this year's Australian Open. And, well, again, I'm, I'd like to get in the slam, so let's try to let's try to make a run again. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. If it's the, I don't know. I, I like the people there. I like the atmosphere, and the, I, I love going to Melbourne and, and Auckland. I, I mean, I don't know. That that area of the world is good for me. And you know. Six first round losses followed that first title. I'm sure you don't need me to remind you of that. I tried to just <laughs> skip to the to Australian Open this year. I don't, I, thanks for bringing that one up. But it shows the brutal nature of the sport, doesn't it? When at that level, how tough was that? And how well did you deal with that? I didn't deal with it very well at all. I got to be honest. Um, I think at one stage I broke all my tennis rackets. I don't, I don't know. I blacked out after like lost six. I, it was tough um, because everybody's good, man. Everybody's training hard. Everybody's working hard. And, you know, if I'm not playing really, really well, I don't, I don't think I'm bringing that much different to the table than, you know, every other guy that's 50, 60, 70 in the world. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle. So lost some, some tight matches and two became three, became four and up to seven. And it was nice to, it was nice to get some wins. And uh, I had to drop, drop into some challengers to get my ranking up before Wimbledon to try to get in the main draw there because I was in qualities of the French, uh, which was kind of cool at least because I qualified at the French. It was my first time making it through qualities. And that was my 15th attempt, I think, trying to make it through qualities. Hadn't done it once. Wow. And so I did that, which was cool. And then barely got my ranking high enough for Wimbledon main draw. And then had a, had a little run there, which was, which was a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I guess I kind of used some of the losses to – can maybe get a little extra motivation and, and work hard to try to get that ranking back up. Because you do seem to like playing the big players. I looked at your record against top 20 players. You're eight out of 17 wins. Top 10, you're four out of 11. How do you explain that? Uh, I mean, <laughs> none of them know who I am. And so they, they, don't, they don't expect anything halfway decent. And then when I come out, pop in a few serves, maybe it's a little, uh, just a little different. Um, I'm sure that's not it. Probably I'm probably I'd mentally show up better. Probably I'm a little bit more focused because it's just a good opportunity. And it's the kind of things that you train for and that you've, that I've played in the sport for so long for is just to have opportunities to play, you know, really good players and big moments and big stages. And um, I spent a lot of time not being able to do that uh, and, and grinding through to get those opportunities. So I don't, I, I think I focus just a little bit better. And I guess when I'm, you know, fully engaged and, and willing to battle, as hard as possible and, and maybe try to not be my worst enemy out there with a negative attitude that, that I can play pretty good tennis. So try to focus on those things um, all the time rather than just in those big moments and, and starting to do better uh, with that, starting to do better this year. This year has been very spotty tournament wise, but I've had um, more consistent results in the most inconsistent year of all time. So it's encouraging at least. Let's talk about the game against Novak. Novak, recently said himself you're a big stage big match player before he played you what did you make of that match recently against him and that experience of being out there against him put me in your shoes um well it's not fun you're gonna be running and sweating a lot in my shoes in this match um 
you know, he played, he played really well. Uh, I've played him twice and I think this was the best he had played uh, against me. And maybe because I played him early in slams and he's already in the second week thinking about playing better players. And so I'm playing him early and maybe I'm not getting the sharpest version, but he seemed really sharp and I have to serve really well if I'm going to be able to stay on the court with him. And, and maybe I didn't serve as well as I needed to. And, um, he's hitting his second serve like 120 miles an hour right now. And he's not missing them. So I don't know what that's all about, but like, can you, I don't know, give me something to hit. <laughs> I was going to say what makes him so tough to beat. That sounds pretty, a pretty good start. That part. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he, we already know what he does. I mean, he's with, with how he defends and moves and, um, I thought he hit his down the line balls really well when we played better than what I've seen before. Just anytime he got a look to hurt me line, he hurt me line. And he probably, the courts are fast this year. So he's probably thinking that's a great play and he's been working on it and it shows. So good, good for him. But, uh, and then the, the second serve thing is, is, is really cool because it's annoying. So thanks. <laughs> I hope that stops at some point. If we play again, I hope maybe he just can give me something at least under 105 to hit. Wouldn't be too bad. Do you think he could go a season unbeaten? He's not been beaten this year. Can you see that happening? For sure, if we play the U.S. Open and then the pandemic hits again and that's it. I mean, definitely then. I don't know what Rafa's status is for the clay. I I really don't have any idea on that, but that's obviously a a hot guy to handle on the old red clay. So I don't know who you take in that one, the the, uh, unstoppable force or the immovable object. I don't know. But... uh, for, yeah, for sure. For sure. Why, I mean, why not? Why not? He could go undefeated. I mean, he's been close. What has he won? 63 matches in a row one time? 59? Something like that? Something stupid? Um, so he'd have to win less than that to go undefeated this season, probably. You know, what, these two tournaments, maybe he'd play Hamburg in French, maybe just French. So that's seven. And then maybe one or two more events. So he could, he'd win less than what he's won in a row before and do it. So it's possible. And what about Roger? Roger Federer, you because I can't talk with you without unfortunately talking about that match. You you could. I mean you could if you were I thought you were a gentleman and a scholar and you could Afraid leave not. it as it is, but I guess not. I guess you're just gonna It's hard to ignore that match. Seven match points. The old seven match pointer, yeah. In the Australian Open quarterfinals. I mean, first of all, you find that you find yourself in that rarefied position. So what's that like? I mean, playing Roger Federer in the quarterfinals of the Australian Open. Um, it was it was weird because it felt like I was like I've watched Roger on TV so much, and then to play him, it's like oh, I'm the guy playing Roger on TV right now. That's interesting. Like, and it's never good to have that thought because after as soon as you think that, the first set's over and you lost it. So <laughs> that that's basically what happened in the first set, and then was able to calm down and and find my find my rhythm on the court and and started playing pretty well and and. I, I thought going into the match that I could definitely win the match. I thought I was playing well enough and I wasn't really sure what his level was at. Um, so I just, I just went in there believing I could win from the get go. And so even though the first set didn't go my way, I, I figured, you know, still hope and yeah, played well, had some, had some looks there. Um, not as, not as many as it seemed, I guess, cause it's, I don't know what his deal is, but he seemed to play the match points better than he played all the other points, which isn't cool. Like the deuce point, he would shank a first ball. And then the, then the match point, I'd be like, okay, seems like I should just play consistent. And I did for the most part. And it didn't pay off at all because he was a rock. Um, so, yeah, maybe 
in hindsight, if I knew I'd have seven, I'd probably take more risk, but you don't really know you have seven, do you? Until you tally them all up at the end. So, uh, do they start to get harder as well? As you miss one match point, do they, does the arm get heavier? What got tough, especially was in the tiebreaker when the crowd was so loud when he'd win a point, like it was deafening and it was already loud in my head. So I'm like calling myself an idiot and as many, um, expletives as possible. Uh, not really, but you know, it's, it's already, it's already tough and the crowd's super loud and, and the, the tension is building. And it's like, at a certain point, it just seemed like it just wouldn't happen. Like the last one I had, I think I missed, he hit like this really nice short slice and I missed the slice approach. I didn't even know what to do with it. I'm like, do I come into your forehand? You'll pass me. Oh wait, I'll slice to your backhand. You'll also pass me. I didn't really know what to do. Felt like he was Thanos. It was just inevitable that I don't, <laughs> that, that I don't, he's going to snap his fingers and that's it, you know? um after you know after seven it re- really started to feel like a like a weight um i think i saved a set point in the tiebreaker with an ace wide and i think i could hear my mom cheering through the tv and that's it like there was silence i think even my box was silent they were cheering for roger at, at a certain point i think i don't think i had anybody uh <laughs> cheering for me at the at the end of that fourth they just, they, people just wanted to see a fourth a fifth set so naturally, I had to I had to oblige and give them the old fifth set that they wanted to, to see. I don't know, man. It was tough. I mean, it was tough. You, you, I think my dejected walk after the match says it all. It just felt like I had lost my soul. Still on Rod Labor Arena somewhere. It's funny. It's, it's just not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> um, I tragedies, are, tra- tragedies, the only difference between a comedy and a tragedy is the ending. So it's all pretty exactly. much the same thing. I remember talking to Peter Guyovchik in Paris one year and he'd played Roger Federer, his idol and finally played him and very much similar story to yours. I think he was best of three after a set. I kind of woke up and realized that this was it. I I was in a match against Roger Federer and it was, it was half gone already. Does that kind of repeat itself? Do you, do you remind yourself that you're playing Roger Federer and does that kind of revisit you as the match goes on? Um, Yeah. I mean, you're pretty much over it. I mean, I told myself, I remember the first one that I had, I went for an early down the line backhand and I'd been hitting my backhand sick the whole time. And I just forced it and I missed it and was like, okay, maybe don't be so hyper aggressive. And I made the conscious decision to just be super solid in those moments. And um, I know I missed another forehand somewhere in there that I know I only missed it because I was a little tight. And it was just kind of funny because it's one of those where I didn't feel super tight, but like, the tension is there. So you, you can't escape it. It's, it's going to be there. So you just handle it the best you can and, and uh, try to not have it uh, affect your mentality. I think, you know, as long as like I'd go to the deuce points and I'd feel relaxed because I knew what, I knew what I was feeling. It's like, I feel tension. Okay. Like fair enough. Like you should feel some, I mean, you, you're a human, <laughs> just a man. Like what am I supposed to do? Not, not feel any tension there, but, uh, you know, I was, I was over the whole mystique thing, I guess, but you're, it does cross your mind that you're playing for the semis of a, of a slam. And, um, you know, just that would be something that, that, I mean, there'd be a, I mean, it'd be a big deal for me to, to get, to get there, to get to that stage in a, in a slam like that. So, and to do one better than I did in 2018 would have felt really good as well. So those, those are the kind of things that cross my mind, I guess the, the, the fact that it was Roger was kind of secondary to just the moment itself, I think. And going into another Grand Slam now, you get another chance, maybe to play Novak 
Um, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to play Novak again. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm hopefully, that's, that's yeah, twice we'll... in twice in the bubble. I, I mean, I didn't bring enough wine to get through two two Novak <laughs> sessions in one bubble. Do you feel like you're playing good tennis? You, do you feel like you're the best version of yourself right now, playing well? Yeah, I feel good. I feel healthy, which is great. Um, I was having some knee issues this this year, and that's doing much better. Uh, playing playing well, moving well, in good shape. Um, I feel like my body's in a place that it maybe hasn't been, you know, maybe in my career as far as just fitness level and health. And so at, at 29, I feel like I'm healthier than I've ever been and, you know, ready to, ready to get after it, ready to get after it. It'll be a lot of fun. You know, I enjoy the three out of five sets. I enjoy those, those, those matches, those battles. Um, it's the right kind of pain for me. It's just nice. So, so I'm excited for sure. Well, we wish you all the best, Tennis. And before you go, as an American player, I also just wanted to get your take on the Bryan brothers, Bob and Mike, calling time on their illustrious career. What do you have to say about them? Those guys are phenomenal. They're, they're really phenomenal. I mean, they're great, they're great humans, great tennis players, phenomenal work ethic, been doing it a long time. I mean, won everything 15 times over. Um, great, great dudes. They've, 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 kind of looked out for me a little bit earlier in my career they'd see me and and i'd do some practices with them and they'd always check in with me and make sure i was doing all right and um just good dudes i wish them all the best with literally anything they do they're super talented so i'm sure they'll be starting a band or building a rocket or something i don't know they're they're, they're big into chess right now so they're smart dudes really talented they're gonna be they're gonna be just fine but i wish them all the best and they're just good people man grandmasters at whatever they do it seems tennis thank you so much very welcome the best of luck in the next fortnight at the u.s open hopefully you go you go deep in the draw i appreciate it our thanks to tennis sangren for those words on the brines and good luck to him in his u.s open first round encounter with roberto bautista agut one of the many great first round matches including the first match of the first evening session it's novak djokovic opening his bid for a fourth u.s open title against demir jumer that's a few hours after alexander zverev meets kevin anderson he's a former runner-up here former winner here andy murray's back in the main draw for just the second time in four years he'll play yoshihito nishioka the third see Dominic Team takes on the young Spaniard Jao Munar while the Americans hope to end their 17-year drought for a major singles title. Riley Opelka could have a chance, but he's got the seventh seed, David Goffin, in the first round. Tommy Paul, also a young American, drew a tricky first-round opponent in Grigor Dimitrov, a semifinalist here a year ago. There's a whole lot to play out between now and then, the last four here in New York at the U.S. Open. So that's about it. Please note the ATP Tennis Radio live channel, which is available on TuneIn and the ATP Tour website, will simulcast U.S. Open radio throughout the fortnight. I'll be a part of that team again. Can't wait to bring you the tennis alongside with some of the other big names we've got calling all the action. I'll also be back right here next weekend with another podcast looking back on the first week of action at this U.S. Open. For me, Brian Clark, enjoy the tennis. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.